connection. Radical, listen to me, radical. It's radical because if we try to make it ours, we mess it up. Here at Connection, we believe in God's radical. Because God says do it. At our I'm saying. We believe here at Connection that people need the love that God gives. And here at Connection, we believe God seeks to give that love through us. It amazes me to watch people loving you, some of you right now are putting popcorn to your mouth. That's great. Some of you are, have enjoyed coffee and water and will have a drink in a little bit. I will if my throat gets parched again. And that's great. The reason we do that is that demonstrates the love of God. If we're not careful, we don't see that. We think that's a bribe. We think that's an ornament. I watched people, I watched people help people this morning. I call attention to that because you probably don't even watch that. That is the love of God through us. Folks, if that is real, then that means this afternoon, tonight, tomorrow, this week, whenever I go out into this world, I take what I experience here and I take it into the world. The world where I live. My wife ought to experience that kind of love from, of God through me. The people I work with ought to experience that kind of love of God through me. Where I play, where I find my pleasure, I ought to share that kind of love of God. See, it comes through me. And it's unconditional. Well, I don't like that person. No, it's unconditional. It's unwavering. All we do here at Connection on Sunday is learn about God's love for us so that we will take it into this world. Folks, if what we learn here stays only in our minds and in the walls of this church, we are learning absolutely the wrong thing about God's love. 
Here at Connection, we believe that people need the love of God. And here at Connection, we believe that God loves through us. And we're going to talk about God's love today as we look to the Scriptures. If you have your copy of God's Word, I'd like you to turn to Luke, the 22nd chapter, the 63rd verse. If you have one of those New Testaments, it's page 74. And let me encourage you, we have New Testaments on a table right across this north room here, and they're free. Just take it, have it with you, bring it back next week, mark it up if I ask you to mark, but just have it. Because I want you to look at God's Word. Right now, it's you trusting me as I share it with you. I want you to see it. I want you to be able to go home and read it. I want you to take the worship hand out. Fill in the blanks. I want you to reread the Scripture this week. I want you to let God speak to you about His love. And so I encourage you, those New Testaments are free. You can have them. We're, if, you, if you've looked at your worship handout, and if you've paid attention the last few weeks, this afternoon we begin our second worship service at 4.30. We do not know what to expect. We are not organized like we are for the first worship because we don't know if we'll have six, seven people here, a dozen people or what. Probably if we have 12 or 15, we're probably going to be successful. I don't know. But we're going to worship. Okay? Now some of you have wondered, how can I help Connection? You know what you could do if you're going to always come to this worship? And we do want to make that worship available if something gets in the way of being here at 10 o'clock. But if you come to this worship, you want to help, we need greeters. We need people to work in preschool. Eventually, maybe kids rock. We need people to fix popcorn and drinks. See, we need people. And, and you may want to volunteer to do that. Because you worship in this experience. Wouldn't it be nifty if that worship grew and those people could volunteer to do some of those things for the 10 o'clock worship and the 10 o'clock worship people could volunteer to do that for the 4.30 worship people. That way, everyone experiences this on Sunday morning or Sunday afternoon. But if you've wondered what you can do, there's great opportunity. All you've got to do is let me know that you're interested in doing that. Okay? Tell you what, before we look at the Scriptures, I'd like to lead us in prayer. Would you just bow with me? Father, thank You. Thank You that Matt has reminded us that, that this is an honor to be here as he prayed earlier. And it is, God. And we thank You for this honor and this privilege to be in Your presence. And Father, I just, I just speak the words. I hope there's people out here who are saying in their minds, that's right, God, amen, that's what I want. Yes, God, do it. Father, I hope you hear us. If we're paying attention, that Father, we agree in this prayer. Help us today, Father, to see Jesus. Help us to see what love has caused Him to go through. And Father, help us to see that Jesus understands the struggles we face in life. Father, we ask that these next few minutes might just reinforce what we've sung about and that God, this experience totally would cause us to choose to change as You would desire. 
Father, may your spirit move in our minds, our hearts, our lives. In the name of Christ we pray. Amen. Now, our sermons are all from the book of Luke. Uh, this is the 70th, 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 I'm sorry, the 70th, I'm trying to think which number it was, I want to say 69, that was a week ago, this is the 70th sermon from Luke. We started Luke in April of 2012. We have been two years in Luke. I appreciate you following that journey. We should be completed by April of 2014. Today we're going to we're going to close out the 22nd chapter of Luke. Then we're going to move into the 23rd chapter, and then we will complete Luke in the 24th chapter. I ask you to hang with me. There's a lot of information in these chapters. They're, they're, they're very important chapters. In all these sermons, or periodically throughout these sermons, I have challenged you to make a commitment to Jesus Christ as Lord of your life. I have told you that that commitment means that you say to Him that you will follow Him as Lord in the ways He leads. If you have your, your worship handout, that green worship handout, and they're always on the tables, right by the table, right by the door when you come in, look on the page that has February 9th. Look at the first two blanks I ask you to fill out right there. They're on the screen. Write in the answer. My responsibility is to speak the truth. That's my responsibility. Your responsibility is to make a decision based upon the truth that you hear me speak that is fa its foundation is the Word of God. And your decision will be one of two things. And you can see it on the screen. You can see it there on the worship handout that I hope later this week you'll look at again. You will either accept the truth or you will reject the truth. That's how easy it is. You see, this sermon will cease. This worship experience will end. And God's Spirit will encounter your mind if I'm speaking truth. And you have to evaluate that by looking at the Word as I share from it. But all my responsibility is, is to share to speak the truth, not to let it be silenced. And we're living in a world where Christians are being sort of put down that if they speak truth, they discriminate and they hate. My response is to speak truth. Your responsibility is to make a decision. The last blank on the screen and on that top section of that worship handout says everyone will make a decision concerning Jesus Christ. See, don't kid yourself. Some people say, no, I'm not going to make a decision today. Everyone will make a decision concerning Jesus Christ. When you were younger, when I was younger, our decisions were based mainly upon what someone else told us. But I look at the people in this room most of us are not younger. Most of us have grown in our understanding of life. And we can hear what the Bible says about Jesus. 
And we are to make a decision today based upon the evidence that is before us. We need to evaluate that evidence. And we need to see, does that evidence speak to me? Is it applicable to my life? Does it help me understand how much God does love me? Does it help me understand what Jesus went through and what He's indicating the application of His life's experiences to me? See, you have to make that decision. And I hope every Sunday we come together that you and I are encountered with a decision God wants us to make. Because you see, this week might be a good week for you, but next week may not. And God will encounter you. This week may not be a good week for you, and God will encounter you today. So I want us to look there at the 63rd verse. Let me say this. Everything I'm looking at today is about conflict. If you don't understand that, i got a feeling you'll read this passage with me and it'll just be information. Or you'll fall asleep. It's sort of like what we looked at last week with Judas and the religious leaders. It was all about Jesus saying, hey, step back. Look what you're doing. Just look at the choice you're making. Now we ended with that, and I'm passing up some verses because a couple sermons back I covered Peter. And he's talked about in the verses before this. And Peter, the man who followed Christ, denied Christ. And yet he repented, and I, I made reference to that last week. Those, those words were all about choice, and Jesus trying to get people to look at their choices. And you are a product of your choice. You are. It's amazing. I watch people. I watch people in the world, and you know, they'll make choices to express their affection, to express their excitement, to express their commitments, but then it comes to God, and they make choices not to express their excitement, not to express their enthusiasm, not to express their commitment. And you become a product of that. And so it becomes, what's so excited about? God. We make those choices. Well, now we're going to see that these people have made the choice. They have arrested Jesus. And now we're going to see conflict. And what I have to understand is that that same conflict comes into my life, even though I'm not there and I'm not arresting Jesus. But I am just like those guys who arrested Jesus. Sometimes I make a choice that isn't a correct choice. And I know that because I know the conflict it brings into my life, into my mind. So look at 63. It says, the guards in charge of Jesus. If you remember, they arrested Him in the Garden of Gethsemane. They arrested Him at night. And they have taken him to the home of the high priest. Now look what it says. The guards in charge of Jesus began mocking. Now please hear that. You read that and that goes right off your back. Like water off of a duck's back. They began mocking. Here is God in human form. Before His creation. 
His special creation. Not anything did He create like man. And His special creation is ridiculing Him. In other words, they're using their words to hurt Him. They're using their words and their actions to make fun of Him. They're doing things that human beings often do when they want to hurt one another. Can you imagine? I'm not there. Luke couldn't have been there. Luke must have talked to someone who was there to be able to write this testimony. But just imagine, what would, what would you say if you wanted to hurt Jesus? Uh, come on, Jesus. Your mother, it said she was a virgin. That's what she claimed. <laughs> and then they probably would have called her names we call people when we try to hurt them who become pregnant before they're married. All she's trying to do is get out of that she had sex before she was married. But I'm sure they use those derogatory words that people would use today if they wanted to hurt somebody. Oh, come on, Jesus, you call God your Father. We all know your Father died. You were abandoned. You don't even know much about your dad. You know how that is today when people try to hurt someone. and They make those kinds of comments. I'm sure they probably said something like, you said you can walk on water. They say you can walk on water, Jesus. <laughs> no human walks on water. Scientifically, it's impossible. I tell you what, if you walk on water, then you do a miracle right now. You tell us what's happening right here. And look what it says they did after they began mocking Him. 64, and beating him. And as they began hitting Jesus, they said in 64, they blindfolded him. They covered his eyes so he can't see anything. Prophesy to us. Who hit you that time? Can you hear it? They're not only speaking words that are hurtful to Jesus. Now, somebody, after they blindfold him, somebody punches him in the face. <laughs> Tell us, who did that to you, Jesus? Somebody maybe not quite as brave behind him punches him in the back. Tell us who did that to you, Jesus. Somebody looks because you see these people know how to hurt people. And somebody punches him right there in the throat. Tell us who did that, Jesus. Somebody else kicks him in the groin. Oh. And you see, some of you are saying, hey, you don't talk about those here. I want you to understand, this is humanity at its worst. This is the conflict that's taking place. And if you don't understand this, you're going to read this and it's going to pass over you. And you're not going to understand the love of God and what He goes through to try to convey to you how much He loves you. They're ridiculing Him. They're mocking Him. They're beating Him. Look... 65 says, and they hurled all sorts of terrible insults at him. This was a group that hated Jesus at that time. Now we know, in time, some of these people become believers in Jesus. After his resurrection. But this is a group, at that time, they hate Jesus. Why? Now listen, 
If you follow me through Luke, I've touched this theme. Because the words He spoke. Now listen, don't read on there. It's not in there. Why did they hate Jesus so much? Because the words He spoke called for them to change. And they didn't want to want, folks. They didn't want to change. See, that's the conflict I have sometimes when I read the Scriptures or when God speaks to me through my wife or when He speaks to me through a friend. It's the conflict. The words of Christ to me. The words of God to me. And and, and I hate it. I don't want to hear it at that time because I don't want to change. These people, they did not like what Jesus was saying because they didn't want to change. They, they They wanted to make Him out to be a clown because they didn't want to change. I'm telling you, look at the world. It does the same thing. It does not want to change. And people who don't will make fun of Jesus. They'll make fun of Jesus' people. Because they don't want to change. They'll try to compare this Bible to other religious writings. And it has no comparison. I know you're trusting me here, but some of you know I've tried to help you understand the specialness of what we call this book, the Bible. But people don't investigate the evidence. They try to make fun of this. Because this Word is Jesus. They're angry at Jesus. They're angry at Jesus because He has walked into their town with people whom they have control of. And Jesus is speaking words that calls for them to change because they have not been showing the love of God. They don't show it in their marriages. They don't show it in their families. Not God's love. They show self-love. They don't show it in their activities. They don't show it in their world. And He comes to town And he says, you know what? If you're really of God, you're going to change. The audacity. And that's the conflict that's taking place right here. And Jesus is experiencing the difficulty of this conflict in in His life. Their conflict forced into His life. I say that to say this. Some of you are going through difficulty right now. Some of you, it's just, it's a season of difficulty. For others, it may have been a life of difficulties. Some of you understand the abuse that comes, whether it's been physical or sexual. Whether it's been through ridiculing remarks, you'll never amount to anything. You're a dummy. Some of you know the kind of abuse that Jesus is experiencing. You know the abuse because you had it through a boyfriend or maybe a girlfriend. You felt it through a husband or maybe a wife. Some of you know the abuse that comes from violent parents. See, I can't touch on it all. The tendency is, whatever I say at one sermon, somebody says, why does he say that about that? It's just illustration, folks. 
Some of you know the conflict that's going on in the lives of others, and because of that, and they won't listen to God, they won't accept the words of Jesus, they force that conflict into your life, and you're the one that gets ridiculed, spoken unkindly about. You're the one who experienced the abuse. And I want to tell you that, because you see, Jesus understands. I'm sorry. But I think in our churches, we've made Jesus the glorious pictures and the icons that we put up somewhere. And we forget He was human. And here, you're seeing this. The Gospel writers all tell us about this because they want us to understand that the conflict of sinful people was forced into His life in abusive, difficult ways just like you and I face it. And he understands. He understands your difficulty. And you see, those people who were with him, who talked with him, who saw him after he rose from the dead, in their communication, they came to understand from his words, Jesus understands what I'm going through. Look on the screen. Look what we're told in the book of Hebrews, one of the latter part books in the Bible, in the New Testament. Look, look at 4.15. It says, we don't, we don't have a priest. That's speaking of Jesus. Because the passage is speaking about Jesus there in Hebrews. We don't have a priest who is out of touch with our reality. You know what I don't like about church? It doesn't understand my reality. It doesn't understand the difficulty. Laura and I have. See? Two human beings living together for 44 years? You think there's not any conflict? Christ doesn't understand that. He understands conflict. I see it right here. And usually our conflict comes because she just won't change. Well, the ladies laughed. I won't change. And the men didn't laugh. Or with my children. Or with my finances. Or with this world. With my neighbor. With that clerk that was rude to me. With that coach that was insensitive to my child. And they don't change. And the conflict's forced into my life. See, we don't have a priest, Christ, who is out of touch with our reality. He knows people in conflict force their conflict into our lives. He's been through weakness and testing. Listen, folks, he's so weak here. In time, he can't even carry his own cross, which was what criminals normally did because they weren't ridiculed and beaten like he was because those criminals only create conflict to the world. Jesus, through his words, bring conflict to the people who are killing him. And that's what he does to you and I. That's why people don't like to go to church. That's why people don't want to go to connect groups. They don't want to do Bible study. They don't want to come and talk to the pastor. Oh, it all intimidates me. Because you see, we don't want to change. Until we're honest with that, we're not going to, we're not going to see the truth that God has for us. It says experience it all. All but the sin. You see, because Jesus didn't sin. He didn't let the conflict take control cause him to do the wrong thing. I'm not Christ. 
And so I do sometimes. But the conflict caused me to make the wrong choice. But will I see that? Look again, look at Hebrews, the second chapter. Because the Hebrew writer is trying to get the people, listen, trying to get the people to understand back then what I'm trying to get you to understand then. Since he himself, talking about Christ, has gone through suffering and testing, we're talking about that today, that conflict brings. You don't understand. You never had a dad like mine. You don't understand. You were never married to a person like I am. You don't understand. Nobody ever did anything inappropriately to you. You don't understand. Listen, Christ understands. He's gone through suffering and testing. He's able to help us when we are being tested. See, Jesus understands the difficulty that we face in all circumstances of life. He does. Don't sell him short. He knows the challenge to remain faithful when the conflict comes. Stay with me when he's on the cross so you hear some of his words. He knows the challenge. If you were here when we were in Gethsemane with him, he knows the challenge to remain faithful to God. During suffering. Look at the next blank on your message map. The middle of the page there. Jesus became human not just to die for our sins, but to let us see that He too knows the pain of life's harshness. You see, this is where I'm afraid we get out of touch in the traditional experience of Christianity. Come to Jesus and get saved and everything will be okay. That's a good statement but we never talk about the pain people go through. I won't share my pain so they can know that I understand pain. And I won't even talk about the pain Jesus goes through except He died on the cross so your sins can be forgiven. And we make no connection to a world full of conflict, full of conflict forcing wrong choices into the lives of people. Jesus, He died not only for our sins, He goes through this experience so that we can really look at it if we'll stop and see that He knows the pain of this life's harshness. Because if you're not careful, you'll quickly disassociate what Christ can do for you. Because you know the conflict in your life. He doesn't understand. And we're getting a picture. I offer you a challenge. In this life that is difficult. And right now the challenge is this. Turn to Christ as Lord. Listen, turn to Christ as Lord and follow His ways. You see, because I think we've made it a cheap gospel and a cheap grace. And we said, turn to Christ as Lord. But we talk nothing about following of Jesus. And so I invite you to do that. Look what, look what 66 tells us. At daybreak, see they were doing this to him at night. <laughs> at daybreak. All the elders of the people assembled, including the leading priest and the teachers of religious law. Jesus was led before the high council. High council, these are the religious leaders of Jesus' day. And folks, if there's anything we ought to see here, it is you can be religious, but not be a follower of Jesus. You can be religious, 
but not be a person who lives for God. This world is full of religion. And this world, listen, this world wants to say all religions are equal. That's what the world wants to say. It's possible to be religious and not be obedient to God and not follow Jesus. Verse 67 goes on. It says, and they said, tell us. Now, now this is very important. Tell us, are you the Messiah? That's the first question. Probably ought to underline that question. Are you the Messiah? When you read this, because there are people who say Jesus never claimed to be who Christianity says He is. I wasn't there with Him. I never talked to Jesus, did you? I never talked to anybody who talked to Jesus, did you? So I look at the evidence. The same way I would look at any evidence of history. And I evaluate that evidence. And the evidence here is that they said, tell us, are you the Messiah? And that's an important question because you see, Messiah in their context meant, are you the one that is from God? You're God's anointed. Are you the one who will bring blessing into our lives? Look, you and I want to know, who is God's anointed? Is it Muhammad? The prophet of Islam? Is it, is it Buddha who revealed to people things of God? Is it Jesus Christ? Well, what you've got to understand, there's no teaching of Muhammad when Jesus was living. That's 600 years later. That's a man's invention. If you study it, you'll see that. There's no teaching of that. And so they want to know. They're looking for God's Messiah. And they're saying, are you God's anointed one? Are you the one that we're going to look for? Are you the one because the Messiah is going to bring blessing into our lives? Are you the one? See, we're looking for that one who will bring blessing into our lives. Tell us. This is an important question. We want to know, are you the Messiah? Look at 67 goes on. But he replied, if I tell you, You're not going to believe me. You won't believe me. And you know what? If you've been through this experience and you don't listen intently to what I said about conflict and I tell you to receive Jesus Christ as Lord, you're, you're going to say again, I didn't believe it before and I don't want to believe it now. I just think you're another man telling me something. Anybody can say anything about Jesus. That's why I spend so much time talking to you about evidence. He says... If I tell you, you won't believe me. You see, Jesus had said many times through the three years that He was the one sent from God. Jesus had told them, look at the things I do and study what the Bible says, the Old Testament says about the Messiah. You can know. They wouldn't believe for three years and Jesus knows they won't believe now. Because I'm going to tell you, when you're in conflict, it's hard. To change. I'm so upset at my dad. It took like 10 years, 12 years before I apologized to him. Had to take a group of men constantly speaking in my life about that conflict. 
I get upset with Laura. I don't want to change. I've got to let God speak into my life. But people who won't change will not believe what Jesus says. Look on the screen, John 14, 6. If you've been in church very long, you've heard this verse again and again. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. <laughs> Sounds like he's saying something about me, about himself. Look on the screen, 1 John 5, 20. This is the, the Apostle John writing. Last living of the twelve apostles that walked with Jesus. Look what he said. And we know, now see, he's writing this, oh what? 40 years after Jesus had left the earth to go back to be with the Father. Okay? And what does he say? He says, I want you to understand. He's writing to the people then. He didn't, he didn't even have any idea he's going to be writing to you today in 2014. He's writing to people who heard the stories and could talk to people who talked with people who had seen Jesus. He says, I want you to know we know that the Son of God has come. See, He calls Jesus for what He is. The Son of God. He's deity. And He has given us understanding so that we can know the true God. You see, they had many religions back then. We can know the true God. Look what He says, and now we live in fellowship with the true God. Why? Because we live in fellowship with His Son, Jesus Christ. In other words, we're willing to change our lives to live and love like Jesus, and because we do, we find ourselves living in relationship with God. That's why we say it, connection, live and love like Jesus. It's a simple way to talk about the transformation that He'll bring into our lives. And He says, He is the only true God. He is, and He is eternal life. He's saying, Jesus is deity, folks. Dear children, look what he says now. Look what he says. Keep away from anything that might take God's place in your heart. Keep away from anything that might take God's place in your heart. Keep away from anything that might take God's place in your heart. That calls for change. Because there's some things I might say, I don't want to give up for God. And I don't want to change for Jesus. See, these people had continuously refused to believe in Jesus. And so he says, if I tell you again what I've told you before, you're not going to believe me. And it's the same for us today. If we don't want to change, I don't care how many sermons you hear. If you don't want to change, I don't care how many marriage, how much marriage instruction you might receive from somebody trying to tell you what the Bible says. If you don't want to change, I don't care how much you wish your family could be in unity. If you're not willing to change as Christ wants you to change, you're not going to see Him for who He is. And so Jesus continues. He says, now, if I tell you you won't believe, but look, He continues in 68. And if I ask you a question, you won't answer. But from now on, the Son of Man will be seated in the place of power at God's right hand. I always wondered what that question would be if Jesus would ask them. And because I'm talking about conflict, and not because I created conflict, but because we see it says they are mocking Him, they are ridiculing Him, they are beating Him, they are blindfolding Him, they are, they are trying to say, okay, if you are who you say you are, now you can't see, so tell us who hit you. See, they're trying to put all this garbage on Him. 
Why? Because the conflict's in them. They don't want to change. And that's been something I've spoken throughout the book of Luke. And the more public Jesus' words became, the more they wanted to kill Him, until now they're going to. And so I look at this, and I see this, and I think the question is this. Mike, okay, since about 14, you just lived in rebellion to your dad. Now you're 26, 27. And you know it was all wrong. Make amends. Apologize to him. Oh! I mean, he's telling me that when I was 23. Because some men working in my life. No way! My dad doesn't deserve that. God, you know, I can tell you some things about my dad. But at 26, 27, somewhere in there. Okay, God. I apologize to my dad for all that disobedience of all those years. I wish you could, could have been there and felt the love that he offered back to me. Maybe every dad won't. And because of the disrespect I showed to her parents, started praying. I said, Lord, we've got to pray for your dad that he'll come because he traveled for his business. That he'd come to Kansas City International Airport or they'd come to where we lived in Missouri. Because I need to apologize to him. God has made me realize that. I remember my dad. I, I tried to apologize. He said, oh, Mike, let's just let that go. That's okay. I said, no, Dad. And I'm crying. I'm saying, Dad, God has told me I need to tell you I'm sorry. I was wrong. Gee, four or five years later, sitting across a, a table in my house, he took that apology and we began talking about what caused the rebellion. We would have never got to there. And so we prayed. And what happens? We pray and within a week. Her dad calls and says, Hey, Laura, I'm going to be flying through Kansas City. I'm going to spend, stop over KCI, Kansas City International Airport. And I'll come and be with you guys. And I'm telling you, I didn't apologize that night. We picked him up. I didn't apologize that morning until about an hour before he left. See, because I didn't, just didn't want to change. But when I did, she was there. And you know what? He returned an apology. He said, maybe we were harder on you than we should have been. You see, what I'm trying to get I'm not trying to, I'm just trying to tell you my pilgrimage. I'm trying to tell you so you can have that pilgrimage if that's what God's got for you. See, they, Jesus said, if I ask you a question, you won't answer. If Jesus would have said to Mike Davis when he's 19, you think you ought to apologize to your dad? You kidding? If Jesus would ask me that question whenever I'm 23, you think you ought to apologize to your father-in-law for the two years of disrespect you gave to him? You think I would have said yes? It wasn't until I allowed some men to meet with me on a weekly basis and speak into my life. I want you to know I was pastoring. I was in church ministry during that time. But it wasn't until I let those men meet with me and I opened up. They gave me good advice from God. See, Jesus can't ask them any questions because they're so in conflict, they don't want to change, they're not going to answer anything honestly. They're going to lie through their teeth. 
So he says, verse 70, or I'm sorry, the end of verse 69, seated in the place of honor, or place of power at God's right hand. In other words, Jesus is saying, listen, I'm the Son of Man. Because he says, the Son of Man is going to be sitting there. Jesus is saying, I'm the Son of Man. Now, this isn't the first time. If you've been with me, you've called attention. Daniel 7, 13 through 18, said that the Son of Man would come. Said the Son of Man was eternal and he's going to come. And Jesus is saying, I'm the Son of Man. Jesus is saying to them, they know. See, they know Daniel 7. They're looking for the Messiah. They're looking for the Son of Man. And Jesus is saying, I, the Son of Man, is going to be seated in the place of power. They know Jesus is saying, I am deity. And look at their reaction, verse 70. See, that's what you got to see. Their reaction tells you they know what He was just saying. I am the Messiah. I am God. I am deity. You should be listening to me. So they all shouted, and that's what we do. You know that's true. Just like I'd shout at my dad. You know that's true. Just like whenever I didn't want to change in relationship to Laura, I'm the one who would get loud. They all shouted, So are you claiming to be the Son of God? See, because if He's a Son of Man, and Daniel said, That is eternal. Are you claiming to be God? That's our second question. You ought to underline that. Are you claiming to be the Son of God? Are you claiming to be deity is what He's saying right there. Because they know what the implications of Daniel 7 is. Verse 7 goes on, and he replied, You say that I am. In other words, you understand what I'm saying. You know the Old Testament. You know the truth. Now folks, none of them are falling down on their knees saying, Oh, you're the Son of God. We ought to change. Because they're conflicting with Him. Jesus is trying to get them. Now listen, so I told you, He's trying to get them to step back and say, now come on, listen to what you guys are saying. You know what God has told you 700 years before, 1,000 years before, 500 years before. It all didn't come out of the mouth of one prophet. You know how God had told you again and again about the coming one? And now you hear my words, and you're saying, are you Him? And He says, you've said it. You say that I am because you know my life is fulfilling everything that the Father has talked about. And so what do they say? They interject, they interrupt him right there, 71. No more conversation with Jesus. They say, Why do we need other witnesses? They said, We ourselves have heard him say it. In other words, they hear him saying, I am eternal. I am God. I am deity. And I'm going to tell you, people who don't want to believe in Jesus do not want to give Him that title. Because there's other religions. And we've got to be fair. Jesus says, listen, what you say, you know I am. And they say, we don't need anybody else to prove this guy's trouble doing blasphemy. Because we've all heard Him. You see, in 67, Jesus said, verse 67, Jesus says He is the Messiah. In verse 68, Jesus says He is the Son of God. And in verse 70, the implication of Jesus' words is that He is. I'm sorry, 68, He says He's the Son of Man. In in 70, the implication is He's the Son of God. When somebody tells you Jesus never said it, they they don't even look at the Scriptures. And most people who say you can't believe in Jesus, they may tell you, I read the Bible. No. They've heard somebody else say. Or else they read the Bible without 
coming to understand what it's worth for me. Look at the last blank on your, mess, on your worship handout. All of these titles would indicate that He was the eternal God now walking among them and talking to them. You see, they did not want to acknowledge that because they did not want to change. They didn't want to acknowledge that because they didn't want to change. Some of you may be in conflict with me. You may be in conflict with other people in connection. You may be in conflict with your mate. You may be in conflict. Whatever it is, you won't acknowledge. Your problem is you don't want to change. You don't want to let God change you. Listen to me. Jesus does want to change you. That's the great thing about Him. He doesn't give up. It's an unconditional, unwavering, radical love. He doesn't give up. Even when you refuse to get around Him for a time, He has somebody tell you, hey, why don't you go try this church? Why don't you come and visit this church? He keeps reaching out to you. Even as bad as you are. As bad as I am. Because you see, Jesus does want to change us. He wants to bring deliverance into my life because sin is keeping me captive. He wants to bring fulfillment to my life because you see, sin causes me to feel like my life is so unfulfilled. If I could only have your life, I could know deliverance and fulfillment. Jesus wants to bring to me, listen, the potential for which God intended for my life. But the only way it can happen is I've got to change and follow Him as Lord. Many are looking for their deliverance. They're looking for their fulfillment. They're looking in the wrong places. You see, some people are looking for that deliverance, that fulfillment, that potential in human love affairs. They're looking for it in another person through a sexual relationship or through, the, through a relationship of giving birth and raising a child. They're looking for what they can only find in Jesus. They look for that maybe in a proposing to somebody and say, I'll get married. And then after they're married, or after they have that, that sex outside of marriage, or after they have the child, they find out, you know, I'm still, I'm still in captivity. I'm still not finding fulfillment. I'm still not finding my potential. Because you can't find the change that Jesus offers in human love. It comes from God's love. And some are looking for that deliverance, that fulfillment, by pouring yourself into your work, you think it's in your vocation. And you brag on that. And you look at what your vocation has achieved and the things you have. And yet you know you're still captive and you know you're still unfulfilled. And you know you're not living your potential. And, and just maybe, because you hear Mike Davis preach or Matt or Josh, God has sort of put the bait out and said, you know there's more. So you keep coming. But coming isn't the answer. It's being willing to let Jesus change you. And folks, I could go through illustration after illustration. Some of you listen. You're looking for G, you're looking for, you're looking for your, your deliverance and your fulfillment and your potential through sports 
You think it's found in a bow and arrows? You think it's found in video games? You think it's found in, in movies? See, you're looking in pleasure. You're looking everywhere. And see, these guys won't admit they're in conflict. And all they can do is put Jesus down because He's God's answer. And God's trying to get you to understand. That's why if you listen to my prayer, I said, help us. Help us to see the truth about Jesus. God wants you to change and follow Jesus as Lord. Live and love like Jesus. That's where your deliverance is. That's where your fulfillment is. That's where your potential can be found. And some of you are going to get upset. You're going to listen to some of those illustrations I gave, and you're going to say, why is He talking to me? That's why Jesus said, I'd like to ask you some questions, but I won't. Don't get upset with me. The conflict is in you. Just like me getting upset with my father or my father-in-law or my wife. The conflict was in me. As those men who helped me understand God's love, I had to deal with that conflict. And the only way to deal with it is let Jesus be Lord. Accept His forgiveness. And seek to live and love like Him. And when you blow it, (laughs) the best thing He teaches us is He doesn't give up. Come back again. Look at the last screen. Nothing to fill out. Just look at it again. It's the first thing on your message. Just look at it. My responsibility is to speak the truth. That's all I've tried to do today. Your responsibility is to make a decision. And your decision will be one of two things. It will be you will either accept the truth that you've heard today or you will reject the truth. And everyone's going to make a decision concerning Jesus. Today I invite you to follow Jesus as Lord and begin living and loving like Him. And the way we do this is the Bible says we we talk to God. The Bible says everyone who calls out to God, God's going to give deliverance to. Everyone who calls out to God, God's going to bring fulfillment. Everyone who calls out to God... God's going to show them how to live their potential. The Word is saved in the Scriptures. Because when you're in conflict, you need to be saved. Or else you're going you're to hurt, hurt the people you love. You're going to jeopardize your ability to do your job. And in turn, you're going to hurt yourself. And He wants to save you. So what does the Bible say? The Bible says you've got to call out to God. God in heaven? First of all, I want you to know, man, I've been doing it my way and I'm sorry. (laughs) I keep wanting what you offer based upon what I think is what I need to do. I'm sorry, that's sin. Please forgive me. I really believe, God, Jesus died on the cross so my sins could be forgiven. And I believe He rose from the dead. And today I want Him to live in my life and be my Lord. Help me. Help me as I learn to live and love like Jesus. Today He wants to change you. Doesn't come from me. It comes from Him. Prayer of faith is not magic. Listen to me. It's a commitment to Him as Lord. 
It's not magic. It's a commitment to follow Him as Lord. Live and love like Jesus. Are there any questions? Let's bow together for prayer and then we're finished. Father, just thank You for, for Luke writing his words. But God, I'm sorry. I'm sorry that it's, it's, it's my conflict, my sin that led to Christ's persecution and death. I thank You for what You offer me. I am sorry that I caused all this. God, help me. Help others who are here to be willing to allow You to bring change into our lives. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.